Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our In the World, Not of It series, which walks through the book of 1 Corinthians, showing how we are citizens of a better country. We hope this sermon will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 is, uh, is where we're at this morning. We've been going through a series studying out, of course, the, the book of 1 Corinthians. And of course, uh, we recall Paul is uh, a preacher of the gospel, and he's the one who wrote this letter to the believers at Corinth. And the reason he wrote the letter is because he had started a church in Corinth years before, but he's, he's hearing, after being gone for a while, he's hearing that the believers in Corinth, they were, um, we've been saying it this way, they were more like the Corinth around them rather than the Christ that was within them. And the reason we say that is Corinth, we've been learning, the city of Corinth, was, it was a, a pretty popular city. As a matter of fact, Corinth had some great things going for it. It was a financially beneficial city. It was a city of, of great commerce and a city of, of great travel. But we've also learned that Corinth was a wicked city. As a matter of fact, we've spoken about the wickedness to uh, deep degrees and understanding that the wickedness that was in Corinth was really a place where, where sin was just blatant and in your face and, and people didn't care. And, and the Corinthians, they didn't really care. As a matter of fact, what we've learned a couple of times going through this is that the Corinthians, <coughs> excuse me, the Corinthians were so looked down upon they were so looked down upon that a derogatory term of the day was, oh, well, you're just a Corinthian. Oh, you act like a Corinthian. And this, it could be said of somebody that you're just trying to put down or to shame. A derogatory statement was to call somebody a Corinthian. I mean, that was, that was their status in the known world at the time. Well, what had happened is Paul a preacher of the gospel of Jesus had gone in and, and he began preaching Christ to them and helping people understand who Jesus was and how everybody is loved by him and that he died for everybody's sins. And all you need to do is simply put your faith and your trust in him and you'll have eternal life in heaven. And Paul came preaching that message to, uh, to the city of Corinth and a great revival took place. You can actually go read the story in Acts chapter number 18 where it says that not a few believed. Man, there was a whole large group of people that believed and, and Paul began to help these new Christians grow in God. But after he left, after he left, he begins to hear that the culture around them was beginning to creep back into the church. They were beginning to be filled with pride. They were beginning to look at sin and just kind of say, ah, oh, well, it's, you know, it's just not that big of a deal. We'll look more at that thought next week. But <clears throat> when Paul wrote back to them, he's writing to them to help them understand, hey, once a person trusts Christ as Savior, they have a new purpose with God. And God provides a new strength. And God provides a new grace. And God provides a... Uh, a, new, a new love for you to understand. And God provides a relationship with him. And so, and so stop leaning into the culture around you and going back to the lives that you used to live. We'll read in a couple of weeks, he says, list out all these sins and said, and such were some of you, but, but you've been justified. You've been sanctified. Hey, you've been changed by God. So quit going back to what you used to know. And he really writes this to him to help him understand once a person trusts Christ, they're to become more like Jesus rather than more like the culture around them. Paul wrote it this way in the book of Romans. He said this, he said, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, who he knew was gonna trust him, them he also, uh, he predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Simply saying, hey, once you get saved, once you trust Christ as your savior, you become more and more like Jesus. We've said it this way here at the church that God, he likes to take the word of God through the spirit of God and help the child of God become like the son of God. All that to say, man, God wants to use the Bible and the Holy Spirit to help me and you get to be more like Jesus. Well, how do I, how do I become more like Christ? Well, you become like the people you hang around. 
How many of you remember mom and dad saying that growing up? You become like the people you hang around. Listen, just hang around Jesus a little bit more and you'll become like him more. How do I hang around Jesus? Just get in his word. Man, start spending time in his word. Start spending time around people in church and God, God will use that to help me and you become more like Christ. And so Paul, he writes to them wanting to help them understand once a person trusts Christ, you've got a beautiful journey ahead of you. So walk on that journey, follow Christ, get close to him instead of going back into culture. Well, as we come to our passage this morning, I just want to ask you if you've noticed a change in our culture in regards to people's concern for others. You noticed a change in that? Have you noticed how there's a, an increasing disregard when it comes to concern for other people? We've all probably seen the news reports and You've seen crazy events, uh, maybe like a, a car wreck or a fight or recently the riots. And while there's one or two people that are trying to help out those that are in harm's way, it seems more and more that there are people just standing by and doing this. Did you see that? Man, did you... And I, you've watched videos and I've watched videos of, of literally someone getting beat up on the streets and, and, and it looks like they're the only two people there and then the a camera zooms out and there's 15 people around them. And there's, there's, just a, there's not a concern for other people. There's not a concern for, uh, for the welfare of those around us. I'm reminded today uh, of the, the generation that I probably have and you probably have some of the greatest respect for is, is that generation they call the greatest generation. That World War II generation, well, well, why are they called the World War II generation? You can look up some of the reasons, but one of the reasons is because they had a concern for people around them. That's the generation that's known for running to the danger rather than running away from it or pulling out their phone to video it. Man, they, they ran to it. We know they didn't have phones, some of you that just right over the head. <clears throat> they didn't have phones, we know that, but listen, they had a concern. If you have kids in the home, you know, uh, trying to teach your kids to have a concern for their siblings, it's a big deal. Like in our home, we try to tell the kids, you know, and then Dennis is the older and, and uh, you know, he's taller and he's bigger than the other two. And so I try to tell Dennis, hey, when you're at school, like if someone's making fun of your sister or your brother, like stand up for them. I'm the dad that... Uh, I apologize. You parents that teach differently, kids, your parents are right. I'm wrong on this. I'm the dad that's like, listen, if somebody's, you know, being rude to your sister, like, you better step in. And when I say step in, like, like, step in, man. You know, if they're threatening, like, don't throw the first punch, but you better throw the last punch. Say, where'd you learn that? My dad. My dad taught me that, man. It, was, it wasn't this whole thing about going around fighting. It was just learn to have a concern for the people around you and your friends and, and your siblings. You know what? A, a concern in the home is one thing. Trying to teach that. I, I think most people would say, well, yeah, be concerned for your family. But did you know this morning that the Bible has a lot to say about having a concern Listen, about having a concern for just people around us. Having a, a concern just for people in the church that are around us. Having a concern for coworkers. Having a concern, just having a general concern that says, hey, I care about people. I want to ask you this morning, do you care about people? I want to ask you this morning, do you care not just about your family, not just about your close friends, but do you care about people? Or are you more concerned about yourself? The question I really want to ask this morning is the title of the message, who is your concern? Who are you concerned about? Are you concerned about those around you or are you more concerned about yourself? This morning, we're going to come back into our study in 1 Corinthians chapter number 4. And we're going to dive in and we're going to see Paul with just an absolute great concern for the people around him. And I want you to see the passages with me today. So take your Bible, if you would, and let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and let's stand together. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and we're going to go to verse number 14. Just two verses to start this morning. 
We'll preach most of chapter four, but just two verses I want us to dive into. First Corinthians chapter four and verse number 14. Paul says this, I write not these things to, to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have you not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Very quickly, what Paul is saying in these two verses, which really is kind of a, encapsulates all of chapter four, Paul is simply saying, I'm not writing these things to try to guilt you or to try to hurt your feelings. I'm writing them to you because I look at you as children. I look at you as sons and daughters, as kids that I love. And the reason Paul could say that is because Paul was instrumental in many of these people coming to Christ. And so not physically, as a physical father, but as a spiritual father, Paul is like, hey, listen, I've, I've, I'm the one who told you about Jesus, and maybe Apollos led you to Christ. We saw that in chapter number three. But I look to you as kids, and so I'm, I'm trying to come to you and pour my heart out to you, not because I'm trying to hurt you, not because I'm trying to shame you, but because I'm trying to love you. Paul had an, an incredible concern for the people around him, he had an incredible concern for those that he ministered to. Paul had a great concern to reach the world for Christ. His concern wasn't, what can I do that would help me be better? His concern was, how can I invest that will help others grow closer to God? I just want to ask you this morning, who's your concern? Where is your concern? Who are the people that you're most concerned about? Is it you or is it those around you? This morning, we're going to dive into that question and I hope be a help to each one of us. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, why don't you take just a minute and right where you're standing, would you ask God, ask God to speak to you. And you can pray something simple of, dear God, please speak to me. Dear God, please speak to me. And then would you make a commitment? God, as you speak to me, as you speak to me, I'm gonna listen to you and I'm gonna respond to you. Lord, thank you for your word. I pray that you'd help us this morning, help us to understand it, help us to be able to uh, um, uh, process and apply it. Lord, I pray that you'd bring the application into our minds of what you want us to, uh, to adjust in or grow in. And Father, I pray that if there's someone that's here today that doesn't know that heaven is where they would spend eternity, I pray that today would be the day they put their faith and their trust completely in you. And Lord, I love you. Thank you for loving me. I pray that you'd um, just speak to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. <clears throat> I think if, uh, if you've read the Bible at all, if you've read in the New Testament, uh, the, the, what they're called the Pauline epistles, the letters that Paul wrote, um, 13 for sure that we know of, maybe 14 if he wrote the book of Hebrews. But I think that if you look into the, the, the New Testament and you look at all of the writing of Paul, it wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't take you long to figure out Paul loved people. Paul loved people. Now, that wasn't always the case. No, that wasn't always the case. As a matter of fact, if you were to go back and research the early life of Paul in the beginning of the book of Acts, you will actually find that Paul only loved certain people. He only loved people that measured up with him. He only loved people that lined specifically where he was. And can I just pause this morning and tell you, we all need to be careful of that mindset. The mindset of, if you line up a little bit differently than me on something, then, then I don't love you, I don't like you, I'm not gonna talk to you. And we just need to be careful of that type of a mindset. That's what we call pharisaical Christianity or a pharisaical mindset. And that's, that's where Paul was. He was just a Pharisee. He, he said, I only like people who are Pharisees. But then he met Jesus. And Jesus changed his perspective completely. Because Jesus has a way of doing that. Jesus has a way of helping us love people that before we, we didn't love. He has a way of helping us have what we would call a paradigm shift, looking at, at situations and people more differently than, than we used to. And so Paul comes to know Christ as Savior now. Instead of seeing people as you don't line up with me, Paul sees people and says, man, I care about you. 
He says it in such a way in this chapter to say to them, hey, I care for you like a father cares for his children. Like I care for you as a, as a loving father. I don't write these things to you to shame you, to hurt you. I want to write to you because I have a deep concern and a deep care for you. Later, Paul would write it actually this way to the believers at Corinth in his third letter to them in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 15. Paul said this, and I will very gladly be spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. I talked just a minute ago about raising kids. A friend of mine, he says it this way about raising kids. He's a, a little bit older than me, and now he has his oldest kids are having kids, and so he has grandkids, and some of you are in that where you have grandkids or great-grandkids. He says it this way. Kids, in a respect for their father, like when, you're, you know, when your kids are like 10 and under, you can do no wrong. You know, when your kids are 10 and under, like, they believe everything you say. For years, I believed my dad was FBI, CIA, Superman, Batman. I believed it all. Why? Because that's what he told me. Like, we, we'd watch Superman, you know, and he'd be like, uh, you know, what's, what's faster than a speeding uh, uh, locomotive? And what's, you know, and the, the old Superman, what's, what's the best thing ever? And, and uh, my dad would say, well, kids, you know what that is. That's me. I mean, they, they, they designed this show after my life. And we'd say, really? He'd say, yeah. i go to school. Man, my dad's Superman. No, he's not. Yes, he is. How do you know? He told me. And then they'd see my dad, and they'd be like, maybe he is, because he was tall and, and uh, looked like Clark Kent. I don't know. Anyway. Man, from, from 10 and under, they'll believe anything. From, from like 10, 11 to like 14, everything goes into question. The junior high age, you know, it's like, yeah... Yeah, are you sure about that? Yeah, Dad, are you sure? Mom, I don't know. Hey, Ken, and there's all that, that questioning phase. From 15 to 20, Mom and Dad are just idiots. <laughs> right? You're like, I know everything. I have all the answers. 15 to 20, from like 21 to 23, it's like I've got everything figured out. I can't believe that you all did that. How dare you? I mean, I would never raise my kids that way and all of that stuff. And then you hit 24. And you begin processing. And then you hit like 25 and 26. And from like 26 on, you're like, man, my parents, they actually knew something. <laughs> they weren't as stupid as I thought they were. <clears throat> Here's Paul writing to them. And he's saying, hey, you know what? Through the process of time, I'm going to spend and be spent for you. Even though there's times when you love me less, I'm going to love you more. A parent doesn't stop loving their teenager when they're 15 thinking they know it all. Oh, a parent might maybe, maybe tighten down a little bit on some things and, and they might have some of those harder conversations where a parent's more blunt, you're growing up, I'm gonna talk to you like a grown-up right now, you know, I'm just gonna present that to you. They're not loving them less. No, a parent, uh, a parent that's doing it the Bible way is gonna be loving more. This is what Paul is talking about today. And so he has a great concern for these, these people, these believers. And I want you to notice with me just a few thoughts today what Paul's concern for people caused him to do. I noticed, number one, this morning that Paul's concern for these believers in, in Corinth, it caused him to speak with courage. It caused him to speak with courage. Notice, if you will, verse number eight down through verse number 14. Verse eight down through verse number 14. Paul says this, now ye are full. Now you are rich. You have reigned as kings without us, and would to God ye did reign, that we also might reign with you. For I think that God hath sent forth us, the apostles, last, as it were, appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world, and the angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but, but you're strong. You're honorable and we're despised even unto this present hour. We both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place and labor working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we, we entreat. We are made as the, the filth of the world and are the offscouring of all things unto this day. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. 
in these verses, and in verse 8 down through verse number 10 specifically, it could be kind of tough to make your way through. Because Paul says, you're full, you're wise, you've reigned as kings, I'm weak, I'm despised, I wish I was like you. Really what Paul is doing, there's, there's a little bit of, of sarcasm in this. It's kind of a, a sarcastic, um, uh, not a sarcastic mocking, but kind of a sar- sarcasm saying, hey, apparently you have it all. I, 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 I can't be like you. I can't attain like I can't attain the, the riches that you obtained. You're full, we're weak, you're you're strong, we're not, you're wise, we're we're despised. And he goes through all of this, calling himself even a, a spectacle unto the world. That phrase, a spectacle, it would mean uh, it would refer to the the theater. We've been to, of course, those, the amphitheaters that they would be familiar with there in the, in the Middle East and even there in Corinth. And the amphitheaters is a place that would get filled up with citizens. I mean, they, the Romans used this to entertain. And they would, of course, you, you know of different things like the gladiator games and different things like that. But the, the spectacles, the theater that would take place. And those theaters, those of you that have been with us to Israel have seen them. I mean, they're massive. They're huge, and, and they just, it's something that people, hundreds and even thousands of people, would gather to watch the spectacle, to watch the entertainment. Some of the entertainment would be people, prisoners or slaves, being brought out and, and just uh, caused to go against a lion or caused to go against the most fiercest warrior without anything except for a loincloth on or something like that. And, and basically, it was, it was just theater to watch somebody get killed. That's what many of the amphitheaters were. And so Paul, he, he likens it. He compares it to this. And he says, hey, listen, we have been brought up in such a way. We have been, you, you look at us in such a way that you, you're misunderstanding who you are. Listen, he says, you're misunderstanding who you are and you're misunderstanding who we are. We saw this a couple of weeks ago. When he's saying to them, hey, your pride has blinded what you are really seeing. You you think you're full. You think you're wise. You think you have it all, but you've missed it. He'll say later, this world is not where we're, this, this isn't our home. The old hymn says, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. That's the point that Paul is trying to get across to them of just this, this thought. Hey, while you're in the world, you're not of the world. You, you, you think these things are important, but they're not important. You think you're full. You think you have it all. But your pride, your pride is, it's poisoning your thinking. Isn't that what pride does? Pride poisons our thinking in such a way that we begin to look at things and think that things are better than they really are. One of the things that Paul is doing here is, is speaking truth with courage in the fact that he's calling them out for their pride. He's saying, hey, you're boasting of everything and your pride is literally, it's poisoning your thinking. And that's what, that's what pride does. Pride, it poisons us from seeing truth. You see, they thought that they were super wise, but what were they doing? If you've been with us in our series, they were arguing over association. I'm a better Christian because I know Paul. Well, I'm a better Christian because I know Apollos, the great preacher. Well, I'm a better Christian because I've met, I've met Peter. And they're arguing over certain things. And then some of them were saying, well, well, I'm wise because I look at things through the lens of Paul's preaching. And all of it had to do with Paul, Apostle, uh, Paul Apollos, and Cephas. And here's what Paul is simply writing to them. He's, he's having this courage to, to speak out to them and say, your pride is literally blinding how you view everything. He spoke with courage to them. He helped them understand that pride poisons us from seeing who we are, thinking that we're something great and special. Remember with me that they thought they were great because of themselves. And a a few chapters ago, Paul was saying, no, you don't have anything except that it's been given you of the Lord. Even verse number seven in chapter four, look with me. It's not on the screen, but verse number seven, Paul said this to them, for who maketh thee to differ from another and what hast thou that thou didst not receive? 
Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? He's saying, hey, every good thing, this is what he would later write, every good gift and every perfect gift, it comes down from the Father above. Hey, listen, if you have anything good in you, it's because you have a good Father taking care of you. And yet they were, they were blinded by their pride. I tell you this morning that all too often in our lives, we become blinded by our own pride. And we lose, we lose a concern for people around us because we, can, we, be, we become consumed with ourselves. But Paul, he was concerned about others and what did his concern cause him to do? It caused him to speak with courage to others. This week at, at youth camp, I had the opportunity to speak to the, the teenage boys once and then uh, to everybody once. And when I spoke to everybody, uh, many of you remember our series on Esther that we did a few years ago. I did that entire series in 40 minutes. You would have been proud of me. Um, I didn't think I could do it, but we got through it. But you know what? The, the, whole, the whole thrust of the entire message was in, in the book of Esther. Do you know what God was wanting? He was wanting somebody to have courage to stand up and, and speak truth. And that was Esther. That was Mordecai. If you know the story, Esther and Mordecai stood up to speak truth and God used them literally to save an entire nation of, of people. And I asked the teenagers this question. I said, where are the, the Christian young people who will stand up in this culture and proclaim truth with courage? I ask you the same thing today. Where are the adults in, in Moses Lake or, or in Ephrata or in Quincy or in Othello or wherever you live? Where are the adults from Seattle? Where's the adults from Washington State who are with courage going to stand up and speak truth in love? You know what Paul was doing? He, this is what he says to him. I'm not speaking this to shame you, like to make you feel bad. I'm, tell, I'm being sarcastic like this, and I'm telling you this because I love you, and I want to warn you. That phrase, warn, it means, it means to admonish or to push toward goodness. I'm trying to help you walk with God. Hey, your pride is blinding you. Paul had a courage to speak truth. I wonder this week, maybe God might bring somebody across your path that needs you to have courage to speak truth to them. Oh, not in a brash way. <laughs> Not in a, if I can say it, not in a jerk way. No, uh, a way that says, listen, I'm speaking this to you because I love you. I'm speaking this to you because I care about you. Why does a mom and a dad say, son, don't ride your, don't ride your bike in the street without looking? Don't cross the street without looking. Is it because they want boundaries for their children and you will only stay on our grass? Bless God, if you go off of our grass, then by, I'm gonna... No, a mom and dad says, hey, don't do that. Don't, don't go across the street without looking. Hey, don't ride. You're too young to ride. Just ride your bike anywhere. No, you need to be aware of your surroundings. Why does a mom and dad do that? It's because they want to control their life. No, it's because they love their life. I don't want you to get hit by a car. This is what Paul's doing. Hey, I have a concern for you, so I'm going to speak the truth with courage. I see Paul's concern caused him to speak with courage, but I see secondly this morning that Paul's concern, his concern for others, it caused him to lead by example. Do you know what I love about, about the life of Jesus? One of the things I love about the life of Jesus is Jesus Christ did not just say, okay, do these things, and then him like sit back and not, not do anything. You know, Jesus said, hey, one of the best things you could do is pray. And do you know what Jesus did? He prayed. Jesus said, hey, one of the best things you could do is, is to serve people. And you know what Jesus did? He served people. In this passage, we see Paul saying, hey, I'm concerned about you, but I'm not just speaking to you. I'm actually leading you. Watch what he says in verse 15 and 16. He says, for though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have you not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Notice verse 16, wherefore, because of this, I beseech you, I, I beg you, I implore you, be ye followers of me. Be ye followers of me. What is Paul doing in this passage? You know what Paul is doing? He's calling them back to the place to say, I don't know it all, and I know he doesn't know it all. Paul doesn't know it all, but I know Paul's following Christ, so I'm gonna follow his leadership. 
And you know what Paul is doing right here? He's helping them understand, hey, I'm not simply coming to you and saying these sarcasm, this is a little bit of sarcasm to you and, and this challenge. I'm not just telling you what to do and not showing you. No, I'm showing you. Follow my example. Follow me. Paul would actually say it this way in Philippians chapter three and verse number 17. Brethren, be followers of me and, and mark them which walk so as you have an example for you or an example for you. You know what Paul is saying? He's saying, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. He'll say that later in chapter number 11. We'll see it in just a minute. But he's not saying follow me in some sort of proud way. Like, hey, look at me. Hey, watch me. Hey, check me out. We know that Paul's not doing that. Why? Because in chapter three, what did he say? I'm a servant. Like I'm an under rower. I'm a, I'm a farmer. I'm just part of God helping farm through me. I'm a builder. He was likening himself to some of the lowest positions. You know what Paul is doing in this passage? He's just simply trying to encourage them to say, I lead by example. You, you can follow me. He said to the Thessalonian, Thessalonians a few times to follow him. He said to Timothy, Timothy, people are following you. He said to Titus, in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works, people are following you. Can I say this morning, and I mean this with all my heart, even as a pastor, that no leader is worth his salt if he can't constantly say, follow my lead. And I mean that this morning, no leader, as a pastor, and I hope that, that you as a church family, those of you that are part of Moses Lake Baptist, that you would even hold me accountable on this. I should never be like, hey, where are you reading in the Bible? Where have you been studying the Bible? Unless I'm not first studying the Bible and, and leading in that. Now, am I a perfect person? No. All right, I thought my wife would say amen. I was just giving, giving a second. I, I know I'm not a perfect person, but... You know what leadership is? Leadership says, I'm not going to tell the example. I'm going to lead by example. Hey, can I just pause for just a minute and talk to uh, some parents in here? And I just want to be real upfront with you. Do you know, we, we just spent a week at teen camp. A lot of those teens, they've got some messed up lives. I mean, just messed up lives. Things that teens should not have to go through when they're 13, 14, 15, 16 years old. But, but can I just be real frank and real honest with you this morning? You don't know why many of them have that? Because there's a mom and dad that says, do, don't follow. Do as I say, not as I do. You want to know what's happening in our culture? Many of you are old enough to kind of remember uh, the 70s and the 80s. And you remember kind of watching the, the trends that came out of the 60s that moved into the 70s and then the 80s and 90s. And now here we are uh, a few decades later and we're, we're saying, what's happened to this generation? Where's even the respect? Where's even the, you know what? There's lost, there's been lost some parents that said, hey, you can follow me because I'm gonna lead by, I'm gonna lead by example. I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna tell you don't do those things if I'm doing those things. Can I say in the church, in the church, men, I want to speak to you just for a minute. Men, you should lead your family to church. It shouldn't be that dad, that dad has to be drugged to church. No, no, dad, dad should be the one that says, hey, we're all going tomorrow. It shouldn't be dad that, or it, it shouldn't be mom that says, all right, kids, I'm going to be the spiritual leader in the home. No, 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 no. I know this isn't Father's Day. Maybe we don't expect a Father's Day message. But listen, dads need to be leaders in the home, leading toward Christ. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, hey, leadership says you can follow me. I, I'm the leader. I'll, I'll lead. I'm not perfect. I'll apologize at times. I'm, I'm, uh, listen, I, I still, I still have, have things in my life that I'm working on. Every dad, I still have things that I'm, I'm working on. But I'm going to set forth an example that you can follow. Hey, moms, the same goes for you. Moms shouldn't be saying, hey, honey, don't, don't do that. Hey, don't go there. Hey, don't talk like that. Hey, without saying, you know what? You can follow me. At the root of it, though, is leading people around you to follow your love for Christ. You know, a lot of parents, and, uh, and again, my mind's on youth just having come from camp. A lot of parents have that mindset. Well, I just pray that my kids love the Lord. 
That's great. I hope you're praying that. But are you leading an example that says, I love the Lord, and you can follow that example? Does that make sense this morning? And I hope that sometimes we would uh, be concerned like Paul to say, I'm concerned enough to lead by example. He says in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, we'll be at this in a few weeks, be ye followers of me, even as I am of Christ. Listen, when you and I are concerned about others, we're going to be concerned about the example that we are leaving and the example that we are leading. You need to be able to say to people, follow my life, see what I do, see how I talk, see how I act in my most public way and my most private way and all in between. My life is an open book because I want to be an example to you. I noticed this morning that Paul, his concern caused him to speak with courage. His concern caused him to lead by example. But notice thirdly, his his concern for others, it caused him to invest consistently, to just continually invest. Notice verse number 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 17, Paul continues, all right, if we're, if we're bringing all of it together, let's, let's just kind of follow the thought pattern because remember the saying, context matters, say it with me, context, context matters, so let's follow the thought pattern of what Paul is doing. Chapter 1, Paul is saying God gives you strength and grace to help you live for him. Chapters two and three, Paul says, you've got to remember that we're nothing special. You're nothing special. We are just followers of Christ trying to pursue him. The beginning of chapter number four, he says, so here's how I want to help you understand that you can deal with people and deal with your own pride. And then moving into the lessons from today, he's saying, and I have a concern for you. That's why I'm writing all of this, because I'm concerned about you. I want to show you a right example, verse 17, for this cause. Because of all of this, have I sent unto you Timotheus or Timothy, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Paul is saying, hey, because of this, since I am trying to help you toward Christ, I'm sending Timothy, I've already sent him to invest into you. And and what is Timothy going to bring to you? He's going to bring to you what I teach everywhere. I love the consistency of Paul. You can go, and if you've never done it, uh, maybe just take a month and just research the book of Acts, and and specifically go to uh, chapters 13 all the way through chapter 28, and look at those 15, 16 chapters right in there, and just watch the life of Paul unfold. And you know what you're going to see consistently? Paul preached the same thing. He preached the same stuff, the same truths in every town he went to. It was all about Jesus. It was all pointing to Jesus. It was all about relationship with God. It was all about mercy through Christ. Listen, Paul wasn't changing his message. And here's what Paul is saying to these believers in Corinth. He's writing to them and helping them understand, hey, I care for you enough that I'm going to send Timothy to you right now. I can't come yet, but I'm going to send Timothy to you because I want you to receive from him what I speak everywhere. And what Timothy get there and do? Timothy got there and just began preaching Jesus again. Hey, get your focus on Christ. Hey, if you don't know him, come, come, out, come to find him. Hey, listen, if you've never trusted Christ as, as Savior, then you need to trust him. If you, if you do know him as Savior, then you need to follow him. Timothy got there and he preached the exact same message that Paul had preached everywhere he went. Why? Because Paul's concern for people caused him to say, I'm gonna find any way I can to invest Christ into you. I'm gonna find any way I can to invest Christ into you. Paul, everywhere he went, said, I want, to point to, I want to point others to Jesus. Whenever, wherever, however, I point others to Christ. This was Paul's ministry philosophy. <laughs> I just want to point people to Jesus. I wonder this morning, when we look at this and we say, well, that was, that was Paul's ministry philosophy. I want to ask you, what's your life's philosophy? Because if you and I have, listen, if we have a real concern for other people, do you know what we're going to try to do? We're going to try to invest Jesus into him any way we can. Any way we can, we're going to try to invest Christ into people. Any way we can, whether it's in conversation or, or like Paul, teaching a Timothy to invest in others, we're going to learn to teach those around us to invest Jesus into others. I wonder what is our life, his ministry philosophy was Jesus first, and then I'm going to invest him into everybody around us. Hey, who are you investing Jesus Christ into? 
Hey, who are you investing Christ into? Who around you are you saying, hey, I just want to invest Jesus into you? You say, well, how do we invest Christ into people? Well, number one, we tell people about Jesus. Hey, who recently have you and I told about Christ? Man, right now, if we, we won't do it, but right now I could say, all right, who told you about Jesus? And somebody raised their hand and said, well, Bill did. Well, Fred did. Well, my, my buddy at work. Well, I heard a preacher one time. Well, it was someone here at the church. Man, who told you about Christ? You'll remember them. Hey, aren't you thankful they told you about Jesus? Man, aren't you thankful that coworker took time to say, man, are you sure you know if you die today, you go to heaven? You may not even talk to that coworker anymore, but aren't you glad they told you? Aren't you glad that person came and, and knocked your door and asked you that question? Do you know for sure if you died today, you're going to heaven? Aren't you glad that when you were a kid, maybe that Sunday school teacher or that pastor talked to you? Or aren't you glad maybe it was here at a service that somebody spoke and invested Jesus into you? And you, you, you said, man, I know I need that. I, I want forgiveness of my sins. I want to know for sure I'm going to heaven. Man, aren't you glad for that person? Hey, God wants you to be that person in somebody else's life. God wants you to be that person that shares Christ with somebody. Paul was sending Timothy to them to say, hey, I'm, just, I'm sending him because I care for you and I'm just gonna keep investing into you. If you and I have a concern and a care for others, we're just gonna keep investing Jesus into the people around us. Paul's concern, it caused him to do a few things. It caused him to speak with courage, caused him to lead by example, caused him to invest consistently. And lastly this morning, it caused Paul to encourage humility. The first four chapters of 1 Corinthians, of the entire book, the first four chapters, is Paul calling the people back to being humble before the Lord. Notice verse 18 down through verse number 21. Paul says this. Now, this, this phrase, the wording here, that word now would would almost kind of be like in conclusion. As, I, as I'm concluding some thoughts, now he's not concluding the letter, he's just concluding a, a segment of the letter. He says, now, some are puffed up. You're proud. As though I would not come to you, but I will come shortly. I will come to you shortly if the Lord will, and, and I will know not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. Uh, what does that mean? Here's what Paul is saying to them in these couple of verses. He's like, hey, listen, some of you, you're puffed up. You're filled with so much pride that you don't think that I, as the pastor, the church planter, the one who led you to Christ, you don't think I'm ever going to come back and, and deal with things. He says, as a matter of fact, you need to know that if God allows it, I am going to come back. And when I come back, we're going to find out if you're all words or if you actually have God's power in your life. Hey, when I come back, we're going to find out if you're actually walking closer with the Lord or if you're not. That's what those verses say. Look down at verse number, I think it's verse number 19 or verse number 20. For because the kingdom of God is, it's not in word but in power. That, that verse, verse number 20, the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. Um, Solomon said it in um, Proverbs, um, I don't know, maybe Proverbs 22. I forget the exact verse when Paul said, uh, every man will proclaim his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. Um, <clears throat> you ever heard the, the, the phrase, all talk? Man, that guy's all talk. Man, that guy's all talk. You know, we, we talk about it maybe in sports. Oh, that guy, he just, he just runs his mouth. All talk, no play. All talk, no game. All talk, no show. Here's what, Paul, here's what Paul says. Paul says, hey, listen. He says, some of you, you're, you're just talking it up. When I come to you, we're gonna find out if you're all talk, no show. Because you need to know that the kingdom of God, the power of God working in your life is not in word only. It's not just a, a, a form of talking up your Christianity. Paul said, no, I'm gonna come and we're gonna find out if you're actually living it. But then notice the question that Paul says in verse number 21, and don't miss it because we will, we will totally have the wrong thinking about these three verses if we miss verse 21, the fourth verse, when Paul says this. 
Now what will ye? Shall I come unto you with a rod or in love and in the spirit of meekness? Well, what's, what's Paul saying in this? I mean, liken it to this. You remember uh, when you were a kid and uh, the, the teacher left the classroom? Do you remember what happened? The teacher's like, hey, I got to... Listen, everybody, I've got to run down to the, I've got to run down to the, the, uh, the teacher's resource room. I've got to go to the office real quick. You guys just behave, right? Did any class in the history of classes ever listen to that? No. I was in my, fr- listen, I was in my freshman year of college, my freshman year of college, and our English teacher, Mrs. Ford, college English, she was teaching And she says to the class, she says, hey, listen, I've got to run to the administrative offices real quick. Uh, Freshman year of college, 18 and 19-year-old kids in there. And she says, can I expect you all to just behave? And of course, in the front row at college, you know, is if you, listen, if you sit in the front row, if you're like Beth, I'm sorry. I didn't sit in the front row. I wasn't of that group. So the front row kids, they're like, yes, we'll behave, you know, push up their glasses, we'll behave. <laughs> I'm in the back going, oh, man, this is going to be great. I, uh, how long she's gone? How long, how long do I have? And Mrs. Ford left the classroom, and me and a couple buddies, we began wadding up paper and kind of throwing it at people and just messing around. Of course, the front row kids, which in that class were... Uh, some guys that were older, and they were, is at Bible college, so you have a conglomeration of a bunch of different students, and there's kind of older married guys that were right there in the front, and by older, I mean, they're like, you know, 27, 28, but they've, they've done life a little bit, you know, so they're more mature, and so they're sitting there like, oh, you kids need to behave, you know, and doing all that stuff, and I remember one of my friends was like, dude, let's do it. I was like, do what? And he just looked at the clock, and I was like, yes. So what did I do? I got up, climbed across all the desks that I had to get out of my way. I went all the way to the clock, stood up on a desk, and turned the clock 20 minutes forward. That way she'd let us out early. And only a few kids saw it and, uh, because it's kind of in the back. And so a couple minutes goes by. She comes back in. We're sitting there. And, and uh, you know, like 15 minutes goes by. And one of the guys in the back uh, Miss Ford? She goes, yeah. She goes, we're going to be late for our next class, points at the clock. She goes, oh, my goodness. Uh, I must have just lost track of time. And, oh, man. The batteries in my watch died. Uh, I'm still, man, it must have died. It died 20 minutes ago. Huh. All right. Well, I guess you guys are. And as soon as she's saying that, one of the front rowers Miss Ford. <laughs> and as soon as their hand went up, I was like, come on, man. Oh, whoa. It was a magic trick. I was like, come on, man. What are you doing? And they're like, Miss Ford, um, Dennis Fountain turned your clock forward 20 minutes. I'm sitting in the back and I'm like, well, I don't carry a watch. I thought it was slow. Sorry. And she's like, is that true? Unfortunately, Yes. She's like, ah, all right. Well, all right, everybody sit back down. You know who everybody was mad at that day? Not the kid that turned it forward 20 minutes. I'm mad at the kid that told. But you want to know who got in trouble? This guy. Man, when the teacher leaves, what is it? It's like, what can we get away with? Here's what Paul's saying to them. I'm gone. And you think that I'm not going to come back, but I'm going to come back. But when I come back, verse 21, do you want me to come back like flexing? Do you want me to come back like with discipline? That's what that, look at that last verse. What will you? Shall I come unto you with a rod? Like, do I need to come in like swinging? Do I need to come in and make this a big correction thing? Or, or do you want me to come in with love? and meekness, or gentleness, or humility. Do you know what Paul is doing? He's just encouraging them to humble their own hearts. This whole passage, all four chapters, hey, 
you've been living and driven by pride. Hey, you've been, you've been high and mighty. You've been thinking that you're something special. You think that you have great wisdom and you think that you have all these great things, but you're missing it. Hey, humble your heart. You know what? When you and I have a concern for others, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna encourage humility. Oh, does that mean we call out everybody else's pride? No, I wanna rewind just a second and say it means that we live by humility. You wanna help others towards humility? Be the example of humility. There's a couple of things that we could say about it this morning. The truth is, number one, when we're truly concerned about those around us, we're gonna encourage humility, but then the second thing is we're going to exemplify humility. We're not only gonna to try to challenge people towards it, but we're gonna be the example of it. Paul's concern for others, it caused him to speak with courage, caused him to lead by example, to invest consistently, to encourage humility. And this is where I wanna end up today. I wanna to ask you a question. And the question I wanna ask you is, are you a Paul or are you a Corinthian? What do you mean, Pastor? Paul, he's concerned for others. Are you concerned for others and trying to point them to Jesus? Are you living a life that can be followed because you're following Christ? Are you trying to exemplify and encourage humility in others? Or are you like a Corinthian just going through life consumed with you? The Corinthian believers, they had forgotten about Christ. They had, they had forgotten about, about the fact that they were supposed to be something different because they had Jesus in their life. They, they honestly, you can go and just read all four chapters sometime just right in a row. They didn't care who they hurt. They didn't care how they hurt them. They didn't care how they lived. They just were consumed with themselves. And if we're not careful, you and I, we can become like the Corinthian believers. And this week, uh, you're gonna be challenged and I'm gonna be challenged. Who, who am I gonna be concerned about? Am I, am I gonna be concerned about the people around me and try to invest in them and try to help them be closer to Christ and try to encourage them in, in things and lead by example? Or this week, am I just gonna be consumed with, with my schedule and my time and my life and my resources and me, 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 me. Am I a Paul or am I a Corinthian? Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.